Crosstracks case management system. That is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? If you don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with Crosstracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of Crosstracks, and uh, I really believe in this product, and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. PI Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about the Investigator's Toolbox. Many of the folks who listen to this program actually have already signed up and have joined this online community for investigators and the investigative community. It's a place to go for networking. It's a place to go for continuing education, uh, watching webinars, doing your continuing education credit. It's a place also to read up on uh, the latest trends in the industry, stay on top of all the news articles. It's actually supported by some really, really great businesses that support our industry. They're offering discounts and benefits actually for your membership. And then the, the OSINT catalog, we've got a huge OSINT catalog that you can make your own private library. You essentially pick and choose what you want to be in your library, um, however you do your research. Check it out today. It's uh, www.investigators-toolbox.com. Listeners of the show, if you use the code PIP, 201836, you'll save an extra 20%. Investigators-toolbox.com. Go check it out today. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Today, we welcome Dr. Gabrielle Salfati. Dr. Salfati is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She also heads up the Investigative Psychology Research Unit. Dr. Salfati has made a career out of training law enforcement and investigators on behavioral crime scene analysis. So let's welcome Dr. Gabrielle Salfati and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Gabrielle Salfati. She is the Director of Investigative Psychology Research Unit at John Jay College. Gabrielle and I first met at the Society of Professional Investigators. They had a webinar the end of December. And as soon as it was finished, I literally shot her a message on LinkedIn and said, please come on my show. So here we are, Dr. Selfati, how are you? I am good, thank you. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So uh, you're not you're not originally from uh, the United States, but yet you ended up at John Jay College in 2003, and you've been there since. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got there. I came over in 2003 from the UK, where I had been working a long time. I was part of the International Center for Investigative Psychology at the University of Liverpool. And I was working with Professor David Cantor, who is the founder of the field of investigative psychology. And I was sort of on board with him from the very beginning when the field started and we set up the center and I was part of that venture. Investigative psychology goes back to 1990, and I, I sort of jumped in a few years into that. Right. And then in 2003, we'd set up the center. We had really established it as a way of thinking about investigations where we're including the empirical science of psychology and adding that as another tool. After we set that up, 
I moved over to John Jay College, which is sort of a center really for um, law enforcement training and training in general in the criminal justice system and set up the investigative psychology research unit with the idea of taking this new science here to the United States and engaging both in training and research and with law enforcement over here. I'm class of 96 from John Jay College. Back in the day there, uh, we had criminology courses and it, it would touch on this stuff a little bit, but not really get into the the, the meat and potatoes of, of this. And, and you know, just watching your presentation, The Spy, I was blown away about how far things have come because I remember sitting in those classes, you know, it was kind of like an intro. I didn't delve further into psychology and I, I ended up getting my degree in um, just criminal justice with a, a minor in, in police science. But I did have a couple of electives and it was very interesting. So what's the difference between like a, a regular criminology course as opposed to what you teach and what you do? That's a really good question. I think when people hear about criminology, sociology, criminal justice, forensic psychology, social psychology, it all seems like a model. In general, um, psychology, our focus is on the individual and we're really trying to understand the functioning of that individual in their context. Sociology, which is which criminology is part of, is much more looking at the group, the society, and general trends within that. And so I think the contribution of psychology is it's not about getting inside someone's head. You know, that's what people think psychology is. Right. But it's more about analyzing the behavior of someone and understanding that in terms of how they interact with other people, how the context influences their behavior, and how we can get that full understanding and then apply it to criminal investigations. Right. Um, and add, if you want, another perspective on how to approach the crime scene and investigations in general. So that's really, really fascinating. I mean, how did you get into this? Like, what was your passion behind uh, getting into this type of work? Walk me through it. Originally, obviously, I'm a, I'm a trained psychologist. Uh, all Everything I've done is psychology. But I got into psychology because I did want to work within the criminal justice system. I actually originally wanted to be a police officer or an analyst or in some way be able to contribute to policing. Right. And so I think that the way that I got involved with this is at the very start, when I was studying psychology, there was a huge question going on in the field at the time in terms of the link between our understanding of human behavior and how that can apply within investigations, within crime analysis. And I started getting really interested in those questions because, again, I wanted to apply psychology to a practical problem within the criminal justice system. Right. And so... It just so happened that exactly at that time, the field of investigative psychology essentially happened. I actually remember that a friend of mine sent me an advert going, hey, did you know that there's this new field and they're looking for students and they want to build up this new science? And so, of course, I was all over it and I jumped right. on board. And that's sort of how I got involved with applying that within the, the policing context. But I've always wanted to... My, my passion, my mission, if you want, my, my sort of um, my purpose in life is to work with law enforcement and sure. be able to apply what I know right. to law enforcement practice. And so that was sort of the background of how I originally got involved. Right. And essentially, that's what you're doing now, right? So you have these courses that are available. Um, you teach at John Jay College, but you also have these this side courses that are available for law enforcement. And uh, we had mentioned, we talked offline, that you actually do training for law enforcement as well. So walk me through that kind of stuff and what, what you do on that end. Sure. So in the, so 
in the beginning, when I was working in England, it was very interesting because when I originally trained, I trained alongside police officers. And the course I was on um, was very much meant to be both for psychologists and police officers. And when we both started, um, obviously, we had very different views on things and different experiences. But what was really interesting is that a year in, um, you wouldn't be able to tell us apart because we're sort of meshed into one. And that whole idea of the practice and the research and academia had sort of forged itself into really a togetherness in terms of how we approach the issues. Right. And that was sort of the ethos. At the time, and again, this was in the early 90s in the UK, there was a big sort of uh, push for police officers, not a push, but there was an availability for police officers to go and study on courses, right. and which was wonderful. The budget was there and they would take a year off work and they would come and study. The years went by, I moved to the US, situation has changed. Um, but what I found, and so we, we built up these graduate courses at John Jay to train forensic psychologists and people who were able to come and study with us full time for a year or two. But what became very clear after a while is that this new science that really allowed um, you know, new tool to be put into practice wasn't available to police officers unless they came to John Jay. Right. So I was getting a lot of inquiries about people saying, how can we access this new science? We want, we want a piece of it. We want to be able to train our officers on it. And so at the time, um, I essentially put together an online course to, and this was again, the very beginning of when online sort of courses started. And, right. um, and I wanted it to be accessible to people who were working who didn't have time to travel all the way to New York to come and sit in on our classes. And also um, they could do it in their own time, but still be able to get access to all of this new information. Right. And that was sort of the ethos to it, to, to, to make it accessible. And not only just to police officers here in the US, but internationally. Right. And now on the course, what is interesting in every single cohort, we also have people from different jurisdictions and different countries, different roles. Right. And so it really is building up this wonderful network and resource so that people who take the course then have the same vocabulary, the same understanding that we're training people on, but at the same time, they're widening their network. So it's yeah. like an alumni group as well, which is wonderful. Even to see the, the methodology um, of policing in different countries. I mean, everybody's got their own style of doing things and laws are obviously different in different countries. That's got to be really fascinating to to have everybody put in their their two cents as to what's proper and what's not proper, or even experience how they um, you know were able to accomplish um, solving a, a case that was really difficult. Um, I think is really cool. That's uh, that's got to be like a little side benefit to that, right? Yes, and it, it's just it's wonderful because the thing that amazes me every single time around these courses is that you have people who are coming with a wide variety of experience. So you have people really at the, you know, the top of the job, they, they are responsible for huge departments. And then you have people who are just entering the field and wanting to, to get this additional um, qualification to sort of add to the Vita as, they, as they're getting into the investigation world. Right. And then you have people from all over the world and you have people even from policing agencies, um, you know, people working within clinical psychology, many other sort of realms. But what is really interesting is it doesn't matter that all of these people are different. When it comes to learning these new ways of looking at the crime scene, everybody can take these principles and apply it to their own jobs. And sure. I will say to people, you know, when you do these courses, you're not training to become a profiler. You are training to think like one. Right. And so you get this knowledge. And then instead of being sort of 
uh, only able to apply it to, you know, the classical, as we see on TV, profiling crimes and so on. I wasn't going to um, go there. <laughs> but I, I, I was thinking like blacklist, like you must get it all the time. Oh, you're like Elizabeth, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, this is how people think about profilers, yeah, right? Yeah. The thing is, there is a way of thinking about the psychology of crime scene investigation. Right. But the neat thing about these tools that we're providing, which are all evidence-based, is that you can apply them to any job. Because right. it is not just profiling. It's a way of thinking about analyzing criminal behavior. Yeah. Um, and even human behavior in general. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that, that, that's something that I think is really, really fascinating. That a human is a human is a human is a human. And we've got all got our tendencies. And, you know, there's a good possibility that we're going to repeat those tendencies. <laughs> and being able to identify that and use that to solve an issue that really fascinates me. I think that's so, so interesting that, that, you know, our messed up minds works the same over and over and over again. It's really, uh, really kind of very, very cool, actually. Um, yes. And so there's always, so there's those two things I would say to people, you know, when, when we sort of um, start looking at how to analyze behavior, I always say to them, we're not, most people, when they think about looking at a crime scene and understanding that and trying to get into the mind of the offender, like they do, in, you know, in the shows on TV, the reality, just like CSI, have all these great things. Looks very different in in, in reality. Oh yeah. But I would say to them, instead, we don't just train people to investigate the crime scene. We really apply the basic psychological knowledge of how to analyze human behavior in general. Because ultimately, right. whoever we are, we're still tied into all the mechanisms of the way that the brain and perception works. Right. And so our role is to train people to recognize those things, but not just on how the offender acts, but even how you as an investigator approach the crime scene and the things that you bring to the crime scene that you have to be aware of when you're thinking about the crime scene, when you're retrieving the information from the crime scene right. and you're choosing what do you think is most important and why, and then making decisions about it. I always say to people that uh, the aim that we're trying to, to, to do is to make people informed decision makers so yeah. that we give them the agency to the power to sort of go to the crime scene and be able for themselves without necessarily calling a psychologist and being able to recognize where their focus needs to be and where their focus shouldn't be in order to get to um, the answers that they want more quickly. Yeah, it's actually genius because when you think about it, you know, ultimately they may need to testify about this stuff and being mm -hmm. able to speak with confidence and having even just the, the basics, you know, training of, um, you know, how did you get to, you know, this particular idea and being able to walk through it is, is incredibly fascinating and I, I think can only be helpful. So we're going to jump out for a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about methodology. I want to talk about the basics of getting in and doing this kind of work and what you really look for and, and what are the, the, the basic traits that you teach your students, you know, on how to approach this stuff. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. 
and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and uh, it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information. I think it's one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. Scopenow.com. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Big congrats to show guest, Chris Salgado. Chris dons the latest cover of PI Magazine and highlights CyberPole, the issues available today. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is your host, Matt Spare. I am here with Dr. Gabrielle Salfati. Uh, Dr. Salfati, thank you for joining us and welcome back to the program. Thank you. Okay, so before we jumped out, uh, we started talking about uh, the nitty gritty, the, the basics of, of how to do this work. Um, I guess, it, would it be considered profiling or would I be remiss in, in, in calling it that? What, what, what's the official terminology for, for the type of work that you do? So the field that I'm in is called investigative psychology. And the idea is that we apply psychological techniques to the broad range of activities that are involved in the investigation process. So unlike forensic psychology, we sit under forensic psychology or so alongside forensic psychology. Right. But unlike what most forensic psychologists engage in, which is what happens once you have apprehended someone, taking them through the court system, 
then you know doing evaluations treatment prisons and so on i'm involved in the the part of the criminal justice system where psychology applies to everything that happens before we find the uh the perpetrator okay um that's the field as a whole now the uh, we apply investigative psychology to many different things one of those things is what we would traditionally refer to as offender profiling People have started calling it many different things because, you know, offender profiling got a particular rep along the along the way. And so now people are calling it, you know, behavioral, uh, criminal behavioral analysis, investigative advice. It, it has many names, but ultimately, whatever you call it, it is the analysis of criminal behavior in order to help investigations prioritize the most likely suspect. So what we don't do is what you know law enforcement do which is identify the specific individual we can't do that from psychology but what we can do is provide if you want a um, a way to instead of you having to inter- let's say you have 100 people on your on your list of, of suspects right. instead of you going ahead and spending all of those resources and hours interviewing all those 100 people you would um, we could provide a technique that allows you to narrow it down to the most likely let's say five five people and you start there so what we are we are a tool that streamlines your investigation but i would never call myself an investigator um i see myself as an add-on to the many different tools that investigators already have sure um you know i don't go to crime scenes i simply analyze the behavior and then i train police officers to use that in practice okay so so walk me through a scenario then where you're you're getting called in to assist with something. Um, obviously we can't do a specific case, uh, but in generalities here, you know, walk me through from the beginning when you're called in and what are the first steps that you take to get where you need to go? Sure. Um, so there's a number of different things. So let me turn that on its head and say, um, what it is that I train people to actually do for themselves, because I can come into an investigation and help, absolutely. But I'm only one person, but what I can do is train people to think about these techniques for themselves, which is even more powerful because then they can sort of join it up with whatever else that they do, they're doing. Sure. And there are three different things that I focus on um, that are part of investigative psychology as we approach the crime scene. Um, and those are the three techniques that either I engage in or I train someone to be able to do as part of the investigation. The first one is what we call information retrieval. And this is the whole idea. So you go to the crime scene and you have to make a decision about what to focus on in order to identify the type of crime that you have. Our first role is to sort of come up with a picture of that type of crime scene. So it's a classification issue. And the, you know, most people ask me, you know, what's the most common, you know, type of offender? I said, but there isn't one. There are different people who commit crime in different ways. My role is to identify what type you're dealing with using those indicators. So I always talk about salience or the important feature, just like a bit like Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. who talks about the clue. Sure. Um, But from, from the psychological point of view. So that's the first thing. When you look at, um, you know, you, you have systems like BICAP that many people are familiar with that sits um, at the FBI. So they have a unit inside the inside NCAVC where they have analysts who have a computerized system. They get cases come in. 
they look at about 350 factors and then they use those to kind of link crimes and, and help investigators. Now, that's a lot of information. And what the science has shown us is not that not all of that is actually important. And we have many systems, you know, Viclass over in Canada and in Europe, um, even the early stuff that we did, we also have about 300 pieces of information that we're dealing with. But instead of asking people to deal with that, if I say to them, you know what, look for these top 10 things. Those are the ones that we know are the most reliable to focus on because they're really about what the offender did. It's not about how the context influenced the, the behavior. It's not about how the victim influenced the behavior. Um, it's not, uh, you know, in terms of the context. So that's the first thing that, that we do is, is look at what is important to focus on. And that is the crucial question. The second thing is uh, then we talk about making decisions about that information. Right. And there's something here, and this is the piece that a lot of people really don't take into account in investigations, is that as we as human beings approach the crime scene, how we see information and how we um, interpret it as important is partly to do with us, right. partly to do with what we see, what we find important. So one of the things that I do is I, I put that in place and I make sure that I focus on those things. But when I train people, I train them to make them aware of the process how their brain works essentially how that will influence them seeing that behavior and it's amazing because your brain can actually stop you seeing something that is literally right in front of your eyes um this is amazing (laughs) darn you brain (laughs) this is amazing um actually you know what i'm well i'm gonna say it anyway but there's this amazing um experiment that people did so they made them ask they asked them to watch a video right and you had two teams they were passing a ball between each other. So it was a basketball game. And they said, we want you to focus on how many times the team in the white shirts pass the ball to the team in the black shirts. And so people watch this video and, you know, a couple of minutes. And then you take a poll of what people say and people have many different numbers. And so they think it's about whether they're able to count the ball or not. Then you ask them, did you see the gorilla? And they go, what? What gorilla? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen this experiment. Uh, oh. And there's literally someone dressed as a gorilla who walks onto the pitch, looks at the camera, waves at the camera, <laughs> and then walks off. More than likely, less than half the people who watch this video are going to notice the gorilla. Amazing. And so it really shows you that if you focus on something and if your mind goes to something, sometimes your brain literally doesn't see what's around it. Yeah. So we teach people how to see the gorilla. Right. So that's the second principle. Okay. And then the third principle, which is the really big one in terms of when that actually comes to how we analyze criminal behavior. And there's like three different things that we focus on here. One is what we call um, individual differentiation. That's like the psychology word. But in terms of investigations, it's how do you distinguish one individual crime scene from another? What is it that makes two crime scenes different and indicates that it might have been committed by a different type of person? So that's the first thing. Right. The second thing then we look at is the idea of um, what we call behavioral consistency, which in practical terms is how do you link crimes? So let's say you've identified that you have a particular kind of crime scene as a style to it. Um, now, if you're trying to link a number of different crimes together, the idea is that, well, the thing that's going to link them together is that the offender will commit the crime in a similar way. 
patterns and things like that. Yep. Exactly. But what's the evidence that people actually do? And when you're trying to link crimes, what should you focus on? How do you dis- how do you identify a serious? If you had, let's say you had 30 different crimes in your jurisdiction, how do you identify which ones are a one-off, which ones are part of a series? And if you have several series, how do you distinguish one series from another? So that's the second thing we look at. And then, um, and I can go into more detail about this one. And then the third thing, obviously, once we've identified the series or the crime scene, the big thing in terms of offender profiling is then to say, okay, someone who commits this style of crime scene or this style of series, who are they? And our challenge is to, that's the biggest challenge that we yet are dealing with. We've right. solved the first two pretty well, but that last one is the key one because that is really going to help the investigators. And the key here is as a psychologist, I'm always interested, like any psychologist, what goes on inside someone's mind, that's what we do, but that's not going to be useful to the police officer. Right. We need to focus on things that they can search for. What is their criminal background? If they have to do a search for them, where do they live? How old are they? Um, you know, how do they interact with other people? Who are they as a person? So you can use those factors. So when you have your 30 people that you are trying to narrow down to interview, you focus on the top five who have those characteristics and you work your way from there. So those are kind of the different things that I would apply to the crime scene as I go to it. So there's a lot there, right? Yeah, no, it's a lot, definitely. And and then train people on those different things. Yeah, so these courses and classes, uh, as we mentioned before, are actually available to non-John Jay students, um, you have a program. You've recently just filled up your your, your next go-around. Uh, so how often do you offer these classes and how do folks stay on top of this if they're interested in maybe being a part of, of the next go-around on this? Absolutely. Um, so it's the Certificate in Investigative Psychology. It's a six-week online course. And um, it's something that people can do alongside their jobs. They don't have to stop working to do this course. That's the nice thing about it. They can also log in from anywhere um, because, and they can sort of um, organize it around their own work. Part of it is very interactive. So I try to keep it super small so that I, I actually, I've set it up personally and I teach it personally because I like to have that contact with investigators and really put that across. We teach it twice a year, generally once in the fall, once in the spring that people and then people can apply to um, those cohorts. If we have a large amount of applications, sometimes we we do an additional one. And then for organizations who want to, we also work directly with organizations who want to send everybody in their unit. And then we do specialized tailored certificates for those members. And that will sort of allow them to be able to converse with each other, it is most closed door because everything that everything that happens within the course stays within the course. And so right. this is really useful for people who are dealing with more sensitive information. Sure. And those we add on as need be. Right. And the best way to, for people to apply to it is either to go to our website um, or link in with me on LinkedIn. And I normally send an announcement out ahead of time. And the nice way with that is that we normally also then do a, an early bird for, for people who register early. Right. Obviously <laughs> that, uh, that makes yeah, a lot of so sense. That's the, those are the two ways. So, you know, um, just go to John Jay college, go to the investigative psychology research unit, or just under my name and right. it'll pop up. So during your, your course of work, have you ever had the opportunity where you actually got to meet or interview the person that you were profiling or that type of person? Did you ever get to that, that point where it's like, okay, now we think we've got the person, um, 
did you ever have the opportunity to interact with that person or, or usually out of the game at that point? So I have been in interviews, but as part of the research process. So, you know, we go into, um, let's say, a prison and we start interviewing people to understand their psychology so that we can add that information to our research. Right. When I, I used to profile very early on in my career and then I stepped back and, and I got more involved in research and then trained police officers. But I remember the one thing that um, when you are profiling and you're coming in as an expert or as a consultant, you are part of a bigger process. And so what happens is that you provide, let's say, a report that tells them, well, based on what I see here at the crime scene, the, this is the most likely type, not offender, but type of offender that you may be looking for. Right. Then that gets used in the investigation in many different ways. But the police officers take over from there. And right. we don't really get involved in the interviewing part. We're not as part of the investigation as they make out on TV. Right. Um, however, um, so I don't ever get to even know if the case has been solved because yeah. the, you know, investigation, I mean, you know, it, it can take months, it can take years. Yeah, take Sometimes they go cold, they pick yeah. it up later and things just, you know, they, they're not interested in telling me, they just want to solve right. the, the crime. Sometimes <laughs> I hear about it a few years later, if I know the investigators and yeah. so on. Yeah. Now in terms of the interview piece, that's the really interesting thing because profiling has moved on. Um, and it's no longer now just about, trying to get a pen picture of who the offender might be. Now, the what people really want is to be able to, once they identify the type of crime that someone is committing, is being able to use it in the interview. Right. So let's say that we know from a crime that has been committed in a particular way, relates to a particular you know, type of person who is going to interact with you differently. And as an investigator who goes in and interviews the suspect, you know that those first few minutes are crucial in terms of establishing that rapport that is going to lead you to get to finding out whether, you know, yeah. either an admission of guilt or finding out if the person is guilty. Social engineering. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> you got to be able to, to, to lay that foundation. So yep. if you had that information ahead of time and you knew that based on this kind of crime scene, I know it's this type of person. We know that engaging with this type of personality, it's really important to do it this way in order for the interview to go well. Yeah. Now, that's really powerful stuff right there. Yeah. And that's really where profiling is at now is linking in the interviewing part. Right. Taking it one uh, step further. To associate the two. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a whole nother topic for another show <laughs> uh, because that, that is uh, amazing. The whole social engineering, especially now how everything is just really moved online and how do you establish a rapport with somebody you know, that you're not face to face, you know, we're not doing a zoom. You're, you're, you're maybe on the dark web, you know, doing, you know, trying to set a sting or doing whatever and, and being able to establish uh, a rapport, you know, through social engineering. I mean, everything, everything's different these days on, on doing that stuff, but that's definitely another topic for another day. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's the key thing that I don't want to call it a misunderstanding, but a, um, the sort of the going thinking of what profiling is. It's about being able to make that connection with an offender who you haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Very often people go to a crime scene or they'll apply these techniques and they think about the crime scene from the perspective of the offender. Yeah. Whereas how can you even make that link when you've never met them, you haven't seen them, you haven't talked to them? We can't even, just on a human level, when you're having a conversation with someone, 
And let's say this is an example I use in class. And, you know, we will, we've all had that um, case where you're having a discussion with someone and they do something to upset you. And this is someone usually that you live with or that right. you love dearly. Right. And so you have a lot of experience of their behavior. And at some point you'll go, well, you said this and this was your intention. And then the other person says, no, it wasn't. And you go, yes, it was. And then you have that argument. Sure. This is a person that you know, you have an enormous wealth of information on their behavior and their thinking. You still can't get into their head. Yep. You still get it wrong. Yep. So what do you do in an investigation when you go to a crime scene, there's no offender and you're still trying to get into their minds, more than likely things are going to go wrong. And that's some of the, those are some of the things that we teach people and say, right. stay out of the mind, focus on the behavior. Look for the gorilla. <laughs> Find that damn gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> Find the gorilla. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Well, Dr. Safadi, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has really been great. It's just fascinating. I think I'm, you, you've pretty much ruined the rest of my day because <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about <laughs> all this stuff, but it's, uh, it's really cool. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was great talking to you. Folks, I uh, encourage you to check out her program. Um, consider it if it's uh, if you do the uh, you know investigative work, uh, really taking your skill set to the next level. Um, you know, making that investment in uh, in this type of training, it can only help you get better. And um, you know, you are also part of the investigators toolbox. Um, yeah, we're working on getting some content up there from you as well, and uh, we're excited to have you uh, on board with that too. So, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch everybody on the next show next week. Take care. Thank you to Dr. Salfati for joining us. It really is fascinating to study the criminal mind and understand criminal behavior. We encourage you to check out Dr. Salfati's course and consider signing up. We also want to thank Crosstracks, Merlin Locate Services, Scope Now, and the PI Institute for Education for sponsoring this show. And don't forget to check out TheInvestigatorsToolbox.com. Remember, it only takes 49 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. Make an investment in your business and yourself today. Use code PIP201836 to save an extra $20. And if you have a question or comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. He'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. So chime in. We'll be back next Monday with a new show. We'll see you then, but for now, stay safe out there.